Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 302 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a fabulously supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series, and author of another upcoming book, which we can't tell you that much about yet, but it's pretty exciting. <laughs> How are you, Al? I'm, I'm very well, thank you, Valerie. I'm not quite at the excitement levels I was at last week, but I'm you still be. feeling, I'm feeling residual excitement. Um, yes, I'm still here. I'm still here. And I, I know we talked last week about me discussing, we were going to talk about some editing stuff, but I think we might wait for um, 303 for that. Okay. We'll do some, talk, some chats about the structural editing process, what it feels like, et cetera. Yes. Very, very, <laughs> very exciting. So we want to give a big shout out to Big Purple Dinosaur. Oh, right. Barney? So, is it Barney? Is it you? Maybe it's Barney. That Big Purple Dinosaur has kindly left us a review and rating on iTunes, a five-star rating, and entitled it, You Can Do This. So Big Purple Dinosaur says, about two years ago, I was looking for a writing podcast. I searched writing, comma, Australia, comma, writer, comma, novel. <laughs> and right. I couldn't find anything. About a year after that, I somehow stumbled onto the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast. I was hooked and kicking myself I hadn't Googled that earlier. I had toyed with writing all my life, but always found that I was telling myself that I didn't know what I was doing, that I couldn't possibly do it. I didn't have any original ideas. Valerie's words in one of the early podcasts I listened to struck the chord I needed. You can do this, is the paraphrased version. <laughs> now I completed two courses and gotten so much out of them. I love the interviews in the podcasts and particularly listening to authors' methods and routines. Thanks, Val and Al. I hope to have my own authorial blazer one day. Oh. <laughs> Well, big purple That's dinosaur, cool. I hope you have one too, and I hope it's purple. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Seriously, then you can be big purple blazer. Yes, that is so <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave us that, that review on iTunes. Um, it's, it's really, really helpful to us, and if anyone else has 30 seconds to leave us a review on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings. And speaking of authorial blazers, Al, Right. A, a friend of mine. Where are you, where are you going with this? <laughs> so, yes, speaking of them. A friend of mine who is not a writer, and uh, but obviously was trying to be a supportive friend, said to me last week, I'm not kidding, she said to me last week, yeah, I listened to one of your podcasts. There was a lot of talk about blazers. <laughs> 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 Why are you talking about blazers when it's about writing? <laughs> Oh, that is hilarious. The blazer is a very important authorial accessory, I'll have you know. I explained that to her. Excellent. And, <laughs> but, yes, so the um, for anyone, though, who is new to this podcast and is also wondering why, why we we're talking about, about blazers, <laughs> Alison, perhaps you can explain because it's your blazer that sparked it. Well, the authorial blazer is the uh, – well, I actually have a wardrobe of them now, so they are authorial blazers, plural. Um, but it was uh, the, the the blazer that I got myself when I became an author and I had to start going and doing, you know, authorial talks. So mm. I was doing school visits and um, events and other things. And uh, it's just the shorthand method of me putting myself into my author outfit and knowing <laughs> that I am ready to present as an author. Um, and I just think it's uh, it's been – it's an interesting thing because I know a lot of um, authors have authorial wrap dresses. There's a, there's a real mm. contingent of printed wrap dresses in True. the authorial world. Um, but I I am not really a dress wearer on a, on a you know, mm. generally speaking. So for me, the blazer with the, you know, and depending on the formality of the occasion, it, it might be the blazer with the black pants or it might be the blazer with the jeans and sneakers, mm. depending on where I'm going. Um, but I just find that it's a great way to immediately look like you know what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> Even yes. when you don't. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Or even if you think you don't, it's, a, it's an excellent way to get through imposter syndrome in a very short short space of time. It's a great anyway, shortcut. 
Yeah. So, you know, if you just, you know, aspire to the authorial blazer because it, it means that you're out there and you're doing it. So Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're, we've got some pretty exciting news this particular episode. <gasps> we and do. We will soon announce the winner because we're going to keep you in suspense for Ooh, a few more minutes. Having, are we having anticipation? Yes, we're building pace in our story. Right. The um, winner of the hashtag Val and Al 300 competition is coming your way. Yes, coming up because of all of the fabulous entries that we received to celebrate our 300th episode. And it was so great to see all of your entries, just fantastic. But that's coming up. Stay tuned after the break because right now, instead, we're going to talk about a useful link that uh, Alison found on why does writing books gets, get tougher instead of easier. Interesting. Interesting. Al? Well, actually, well, I have Alan Baxter to thank for this particular uh, particular link because uh, Alan Baxter, you may remember, is uh, is an author that we interviewed many episodes ago. I don't remember now. Um, and it was he who actually shared this link uh, where I first saw it. It is a post by Cameron Hurley and it is it is on locusmag.com, mm. locusmag, and we will share the link in the show notes. Yeah. Why does writing books get tougher instead of easier? And it really resonated with me because I think um, it's something that and, and I think it resonated with Alan for exactly the same reason. Mm. Uh, he's written a lot of books. Mm. Um, but we all agreed, I was in, a, in an author group, and we all agreed that in actual fact you would think that once you had written one or two or three books that you would have got the hang of it, right, that you would be able to just knock these things out in five minutes flat because surely that's what, hap- that's what happens. Um, but the actual, as Cameron points out, one of the ironies of the writing craft is that the more novels that many of us write, the more difficult it is to write a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, that sort of is a really interesting contradiction, um, but it is something that comes up over and over again with other writers. Like, and she sort of goes on to break down why this might be happening. And basically what it comes down to, and I think it was Pamela Freeman who actually made this comment on the mm. post um, somewhere in social media, is that when you start writing, you don't know what you don't know. And you and I have yes, talked about this yes. on a regular basis. Mm. So you kind of launch in and off you go and, yeah, and you you know so you make mistakes and mm. you do whatever it is that you do and you muddle your way to the end and, mm. and you think, great, you know, okay, I've got here, I've done this now, I can do this again. But then when you go to write the second book, you know more stuff. Um, yeah. And so you know where you're making mistakes and you know where the mistakes are likely to be made, which you would think would make it easier. Um, but somehow – you're, it's it's harder to overcome that feeling of knowing where the mistakes are. So you become you become more tied up in your own kind of um, your own inabilities. I think you know what you're trying to do. You know that you're not quite reaching the mark, and so you sort of have to kind of regroup and try again, and maybe try different angles. But the other thing, of course, is that particularly once you've written a couple of books. Um, particularly if those are in a series like with mine, you know, you, you do you do start to get a rhythm up with those sorts mm. of things. But then when you go to write something different, you are going to write something new. So say when I went to write The Adaban Cipher, if you've read The Mapmaker Chronicles and The Adaban Cipher, mm. you will probably see that The Adaban Cipher novels are more uh, complex in their sort of in plotting, in in their scope, in the not in the scope of the story, because you know obviously the Mapmaker Chronicles, where we're off we go around the world, but um, and the Adaban Cipher takes place in a much smaller world, but in the scope of what I'm trying to achieve within a within a shorter within that short word count, um, they're more complex. So I think that's what happens is that you every time you go to write something new and different, mm. you are pushing yourself. You're trying to push yourself further into different areas and into different yes. territories and you're trying to to make whatever it is that you're doing better. And so that makes it harder. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's yeah, so true. I like what this um writer says. I often read Seth Godin's short book The Dip whenever I feel like I want to quit writing books. 
Over the years, I've had three serious low periods where I considered quitting. His book reminds me that once we achieve a certain level of proficiency in any profession or task, it gets phenomenally more difficult to achieve smaller and smaller gains. But it is these small incremental gains that separate those performing at a professional level and those support performing at a world-class level. So, yeah, really, really, yeah, great point, you know. Yeah, and it's just, just this whole notion of like you're wanting to, she, she describes it as levelling up, you know, you're mm. wanting to level up all the time. Um, but you, So you, you're levelling up not just on a writing uh, basis, you're also levelling up as a professional. You're mm. levelling up with regards to what's going on around you in the world, the people that you meet. You're levelling up with the, the knowledge of the amount of work involved it with a book that has nothing to do with actually writing the book Um, and I think that all of those things conspire to make you know to make it tougher but also incredibly rewarding because if you do get to that point where you've managed to make that you know you've managed to crack that shell and creak your way up to the next level Mm because that's what it feels like sometimes Mm. um, I think that you know it's it's incredibly rewarding to know that you've you know, that you're getting better all the time. I think that's... that's Absolutely. And it's also part of your... It's also important to understand what your mindset is because even though it may seem harder or you're aware of more things that therefore make it more... uh, make it harder or or more overwhelming, you can either take it as, okay, well, yep, I'm aware of all these things. There's lots of things I need to do and I'm just going to get on and do them. Or you Mm. can wallow in overwhelm. You can wallow Mm. in, oh, my God, it's so much harder. You can choose which attitude you're going to take through to the next level as well. Yeah, that's true. All right. So let's move on to exciting things about winners. Winners. (laughs) It's so exciting. So first of all, we need to explain that the winner gets a pack of 30, 3-0, awesome books. I'm not going to list them all, um, but they're, but we'll put them um, in the show notes. And there are 30 books that will t- take you, you'll be reading forever or you've got all your Christmas presents sorted out, but some fantastic authors in that pack. Who we got out? Well, I'm very excited to announce very excited because this was really tough like I have to say people this was really really tough there was a some there were some fantastic um, episodes (laughs) there were some fantastic entries Mm. into uh into our competition um and we have chosen well I have chosen and Mm. then I have you know dragged Val along with me because that's (laughs) how I roll um we have chosen I'm in full agreement though yes of course yeah uh, Liz Haberman as yes. the winner of our uh, Val and Al 300. Um, so that's Liz, H-A-B-E-R-M-A-N-N. And Liz created a, 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 a social uh, Facebook post basically with a video and it's just it's wonderful. We loved it. We loved the Love post, it. the Love heartfelt it. post that went with it. Um, and of course, we um, you can if you would like to to read Liz's winning entry and see her video along with some of the other brilliant entries that we received. Mm. Um, you can check out the Writer Center blog where you will find a blog post that will outline all of these things for you. Mm. So. Um, We'll put the link in the show notes. But, yeah, yeah, congratulations, Liz, and I really hope that you enjoy all 30 of your new books. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations, Liz. Absolutely well-deserved. All right, so we're going to move on to a different competition this week. You have a chance to win three, one of three copies of Gotta Get Thoreau. No, Gotta Get Thoreau This. (laughs) (laughs) Through, <laughs> gotta get through this, maybe. Would oh that my be God. it? That would be it. That would gotta be get it. through this because it is by Louis Through. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Sorry, I think, I I think, think the residual I, excitement from hashtag Val and our 300 was all too much. I right was there. reading this article on Justin Trudeau and I think that, that just oh, stuck right. in my head. That would be it. Gotta get through this by Louis Theroux from much-loved documentary maker Louis Theroux comes a funny, heartfelt, and entertaining account of his life and weird times in TV. 
He takes the reader on a joyous journey from his anxiety-prone childhood to his unexpectedly successful career. Nervously accepting the BBC's offer of his own series, he went on to create an award-winning documentary style that has seen him immersed in the weird worlds of paranoid US militias and secretive pro-wrestlers, get under the skin of celebrities like Max Clifford and Chris Eubank and tackle gang culture in San Quentin Prison, all the time wondering whether the same qualities that make him good at documentary might also make him bad at life. Filled with wry observation and self-deprecating humour, this is Louis at his most insightful and honest best. So we have three copies and you can win one of Gotta Get Through This. Entries close on the 21st of October and um, you can enter at writercentercomau slash win. That's writercentercomau slash win. All right, Al. Are you ready for the word of the week? I'm very ready. The word of the week is schadenfreude, or sometimes Mm. pronounced as schadenfreude. Mm. I know this one. Yes. Is is this going to be like last week where there's going to be some twist that I don't know about? No, I doubt it. No, I I don't think so. I have to say I do feel like the Germans just have such brilliant words for such brilliant things that I love that this word exists. Yes, it's such a good word. So this comes from the German Schaden, meaning injury, and Freud, meaning joy, and means taking pleasure in the misfortune of others. So you might say the ousted prime minister experienced schadenfreude when the man responsible for his downfall was faced with the same fate only a year later. Now, isn't that, a, that, isn't that a sentence that could pretty much relate to any country and any year over the last five years? Pretty right much, there. particularly yep. Australia. Particularly. Um, right, so schadenfreude, there you go. Bit of a different word this week. Lovely. Um, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. This week we're talking to Stephanie Wood and her book is called Fake. It is a memoir and obviously she can explain what it's about, but it is a honest and extremely beautifully written account of certain events in her life, which you'll discover. Um, it is a... Uh, it's one of those books where when you're reading it, you actually not only fascinated by the story, which which is which of course is great, but you I sat there thinking, oh my God, the way she expressed that was just brilliant. And you just literally admire the writing, the words on the page because of the um, level of skill or or, or the the talent that is clearly behind them. So let's have a chat to Stephanie Wood. All right, Stephanie. So first of all, congratulations on your book, Fake, a startling true story of love in a world of liars, cheats, narcissists, fantasies, and phonies. So for readers who haven't read the book yet, can you tell them what it's about? Yes, well, it's um, the story of a relationship in my life, a romantic relationship with a man who I thought was heaven and he turned out to be a bit of hell. Um, he was not at all who he said he would he was and, in fact, was a fantasist and a phony. Um, but I spent 14 months with this man and um, I knew something was wrong. I could see red flags, but I pushed them away which I think is a fairly typical response for, for many people in any, any number of sorts of relationships. And my anxiety levels spiralled out of control and eventually um, I dumped him after about 14 months and started to investigate who he really was. And so at the time you were working as a journalist at Good Weekend and you had written a piece about about this a couple of years uh, ago now. about 16 months after I broke up with him mm. I mean that was a that was a pretty intense period of recovery and mm. grappling with how the hell I'd been susceptible to this man um, and eventually I felt strong enough to write about it and I wrote a piece for Good Weekend magazine in the middle of 2017 and it was published and was rather a sort of a, a viral sensation mm. I suppose and the response I got from, uh, it was just incredible, the response. I heard from people that recognised the character I was writing about, even mm-hmm. we didn't use his real name, but um, there were certain things that 
were recognisable about his behaviour and his persona. I heard from people just expressing shock that people could behave in such a way. And there was this sort of third category, which was extraordinary, um, this huge volume of people, women and men, mostly women, telling me about the sto- their stories of relationships with similar narcissistic con men. Yeah. And it was clear, it became clear to me that this was almost a silent epidemic. And people don't talk about it because they're ashamed of it. They, mm. they don't want people to know that they've been fooled. Mm. Now, when you get when you received such a huge response, was it at that point, or was it sometime later that you thought there's a book in this? When did that happen? Oh, listen, I think I always knew there was a book in it um, from the end of the relationship when I started to discover the truth about him. I, I, I didn't know that I'd have the courage to write it or the wherewithal to write it, um, and. It's sort of organically around about the time of the article I was I got an agent a literary agent mm. and started to have conversations with publishers about the potential to extend the story and and look at it in a much broader way and that became the book that was has just been published fake mm. and at some point though you toyed with the idea of making it fiction of writing yeah. a novel so when did you you know what did that feel like and when did you decide or what made you decide no it's got to be the truth well I think in this case the truth was stranger than fiction yeah (laughs) Um, Yeah. I guess it just seemed to me that it was going to be a more useful book as a as a a non-fiction memoir style book um, that would help people far more and it was such a riveting story Mm. that you know I did fiddle around with fiction but it seemed almost pretentious to do it as fiction. It's it's hard to just explain sort of just the instinct I had that it had to be nonfiction, mm. but that's that's how I felt. And it and it sort of, I think it was fairly clear after the Good Weekend article that it would have to become that. I mean, I fiddled a little bit with a few different forms, but within a few months, less than that, even I knew that it was going to be a true story. So you said that you started talking to publishers and your agent about it being kind of a broader uh, book, not just about your experience. And it is, it's part memoir and it's part kind of essay on the idea of love and research into different types of personalities. How did you determine how much of memoir to put in and how much of the, you know, interviews with psychologists and and researchers and that, and that kind of thing? Well, I wanted it to be a page turner, yeah. um, and I knew the I knew the material was my from my own story was rich enough and complex enough to make it a page turner, yeah. and I, I didn't want it to be a, a story that got lost in the research. But I also wanted the research to be there buttressing it, so it was a bit of a a balancing act. Um, I spent a lot of time working on a structure um, mm. for the book. Um, my study was, you know, there was I had a whiteboard and post-it notes and sharpies and just trying to, and I moved sections around and and I looked at what would work and I looked at the thematic, uh, what theme. Each chapter has a number of themes built into it, sort of underlying the story. Um, and it took me a while to get the structure in place. And I think what saved, I have a tendency in my good week, in my feature stories, to over-research, which mm. means you can get terribly bogged down. And I think what saved me from over-researching and getting hopelessly bogged down was the fact that I, I had only a year to write the book. And I decided when I knew, well, I knew pretty quickly that if I did all the research first and then started to write, the book would never get written. <laughs> um, and I would spend so much time gathering research material and transcribing interviews and filing it and keywording it and stuff that I wouldn't ever start chapter one. So I determined that I would research and and write simultaneously. So while I wrote chapter one, I was looking at what I was researching chapter two and thinking ahead to chapter three as to what interviews I needed to be setting up. And so then I moved on when I was writing chapter two, I was doing interviews for Chapter 3 and thinking about what 4 needed in the way of interviews to be set up. And so it was a kind of a tandem thing for a year of that sort of um, writing and researching simultaneously. And I can tell you that the lists in my room, in my computer just were scary. Like I had multiple lists running of 
what I needed to be doing on different chapters at any one time and who I still needed to talk to and what books I still needed to read. And I'd watched a lot of films for the for the book as mm. well. And so what films I had to watch and what interviews needed to be transcribed and had I sent that one off for transcription and could I afford to pay for it or did I have to do it myself? <laughs> so it, it, was, it was like I look back now and go, how the hell did I do that? I just don't know how I achieved it. It's no. Just... Well, I mean, I let me get this straight because I see – you know, I see how you have researched it as you've gone along because things have unfolded in the book as you've as mm. you've discovered them. But you mentioned that you had this big whiteboard. So did you plot out some kind of structure at the beginning? Yes. yes. Right. So you did have some kind of skeleton that you were then oh, absolutely. And the building research on. I did and the writing I did was informed by that structure. So I was constantly going back to look at what what that structure was. And it's it was it changed without mm. question. It 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 was not what is the, the book is not an exact reflection of the original structure. I lost a chapter because I realised I just it was too much. It was going to make the the book too weighty, and in, in hindsight, the book benef- benefited tremendously from not having that additional chapter. And I can't even actually remember what that chapter was going to be now. So, I guess that shows how it was a wise decision to get rid of it. Mm. Um, I also had hoped to include a whole lot of historical information or lovely historical anecdotes about true life con con artists in the history of Australia Mm. um, and perhaps overseas as well. Um, But I realised that I just wasn't going to have the room for that. It Mm. would slow everything down. Um, But what I was working at as I went, I, I, you know, originally I wanted to speak to multiple um, specialists in each area. And in the end, I actually, in some cases, only spoke to one Mm. once I was confident that their expertise was, was, solid and their work was reflective of the wider body of of research in a particular area, for example, personality disorders. Um, Whereas, as I said, if I'd been doing all the research at once, I probably would have spoken to 15 psychologists about personality disorders and only been able to use a fraction of it and wasted huge amounts of time with that amount of that research. So, um, yeah, does that? (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, but the thing I really want to focus on this structured thing because I have told so many people oh my god the structure of this book is genius and I don't know how she did it I so, don't know how I, <laughs> so <laughs> I really do it's amazing so I want to just ask a bit more about that because I love talking about this stuff it's amazing <laughs> but I, but whether I can reflect sometimes it is organic and sometimes well yes it, um, I mean that and that's often the joy of writing I find mm. for me anyhow is that against all odds pieces just fit together and yes you you'd never ordinarily imagine how you you, you sit there and you think how is this going to work and then seamlessly something mm. comes up that makes it two pieces fit together. Try and, and cast your mind back. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You go on. It's okay, but it, it, it's sometimes it's a jigsaw puzzle that works, and I can't even explain how it does. But oh. do keep asking your questions because yeah. <laughs> well, try and cast your mind back to yeah. you know when you did your initial whiteboard because mm-hmm. the thing is, and this is no spoiler. Obviously, you broke up. I mean, you know that's not yeah. a spoiler. Um, so it it ended. And in a sense, there wasn't kind of in that story in itself. There, there wasn't a, a climax to that story, yeah. and therefore, how did you think to yourself, "How am I gonna, yeah, you know, exactly I structure know yeah, my yeah, book?" I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so I sat one day in the state, well, several days actually in the state library. Um, actually, this was when I was. Now I remember. I, I was. This was when I was writing my original Good Weekend article, right. and I decided that I wanted it to have a filmic structure. And I'd never written a screenplay in my life, so I googled "wonderful world of Google" <laughs> to look at what film structures do, and mm. in terms of how they have different stages and different turning points. And I mapped that out, and I had a chart um, where I had stage one in a film structure achieves this. And underneath that, the second part of the chart, I had what I'm going to achieve with my stage one that matches what a film would do. Mm. Then turning point number one, what a film's turning point number one tries to achieve, what I would try and achieve with my turning point number one. And so that 18, sort of six months after the original article, I had all of that film structure still and I rejigged it Mm. and I looked at how – 
what my new inf- – because I had to bring more to the book in, the, in terms of the story than the original article was. Like no one would have published it if I just rehashed what that original article was. Yeah. And a lot had unfolded since the article. The story had evolved much, 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 much further. Um, I'd met lots of other players in the story, particularly um, I suppose this is not a spoiler either, the other woman of mm. the sto- who was going out with my ex. Mm. Um, so I had a lot more to say. And I also knew that um, the narrative structure had to have that beginning, middle and end with tension all the way through it. And I was determined that it not be a sad story mm. or a tragic story. Yeah, they're sure there was <laughs> I was a mess at after the breakup and it was really confronting to come to terms with what had happened to me but I wasn't going to let that be the end of the story I needed I guess it needed to have a redemptive kind of arc Mm -hmm. and I was super conscious of of memoirs like even though I hadn't read it I know I sort of have a sense of where it goes but Cheryl Strayed's Wild for example um uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's um Eat Pray Love like that they have those arcs where there's there's a journey, I suppose, and I'm not fond of that word journey at all, but I guess <laughs> it is the best way to, to describe what I was trying to achieve. Mm. Um, so the uh, the original article had a film structure embedded in it and that film structure I moved onto the book structure, um, but it had different turning points and different stages because the story was had extended was ex- naturally extended by that point. Does that sort of make sense? Like it, it's, it, it's, it wasn't easy. It was really complex mm. and it did my head in sometimes. Um, and I had in my chart, I had each chapter had a theme, at least one theme or two themes that it was looking at, whether it be vulnerability or um, desire or, or mm. whatever it was. And mm. often those are overlapping. There, there aren't neat beginnings and endings to a lot of that. Mm. Um and somehow I think it worked out. Oh, it, it, it worked out. But the thing that I am amazed by is that um, you, as you say, you were researching as you wrote and the book unfolds as you are doing this, as you are yeah. as you are, are researching and as you are discovering more, you are meeting the ex and so on. Well, I guess that's part of the journey. That's part of the that I made. I decided that that would be my discovery of what was ha- what it. Yes, but what was. if there was no redemption? You know what I mean. There's such a risk with well, with I the way. Well, I always knew that redemption would be me getting strong. So mm-hmm. I guess I did do that ocean. I, I embedded the swimming yes. motifs throughout water as well. From mm. chapter one, I mean, I, every chapter has lots of motifs, so no one's noticed these, which is kind of funny. Like. I spend so much time on them. I mean, I don't know whether you notice, but death is all the way through that book. Yes. There are graveyards. There are skulls. There are cemeteries yes. and ghosts and, um, like, no one's even The kangaroo I mean, and skulls. And to me and, that was yes. the death of love, really, I suppose, yes. was to be. And, and hopefully I didn't do it in too heavy-handed a way. I guess I didn't if no one's even noticed it's there. No, I noticed um, the water. <laughs> the, water the water is there. There's death. There's faces. There's mirrors. Mm. There's hands. Hands are all the way through the book. Um, it's because it's seamless. The whole I thing hope, is seamless. I, I hope so. But, I mean, I looked at great The Great Gatsby a real lot as mm. the way um, – he used um, the motifs, um, yeah. ocular motifs and all sorts of things. Um, but in terms of the redemptive stuff, I yes. knew that I had to, it had to be my redemption. I had to come back from the dead, if you like, come back from this dreadful place that I found myself in with this horrible man. Um, and so I, I certain, there was certain calculation in going and doing the ocean swimming. Right. Uh, and it's something I've always wanted to do. So it wasn't. It wasn't unnatural. It mm. is something absolutely I've always wanted to do, and it's absolutely the case that long before I thought of training for an ocean swim, I was going and I was recovering from this relationship. I would go to the sea baths. All of that is utterly like anyone who knows me will tell can attest to the fact that I love the sea baths and have mm. been going to them for fifteen years. Um, but it occurred to me that maybe I can use that love for the water to help me get to the ending of the story. Mm. And so I, I, I very um, de- um, deliberately signed up to do an ocean swim and I'd never done it before. And, it, I mean, it was – I guess it, it, the story was unfolding because to mm. do the ocean swim required huge 
I'm not a physical person. I'm the biggest slob on earth. Um, I was always the last pick for the team. So um, to do an ocean swim was a really big deal for me. Mm. And I did it. And I mean, I didn't, the book doesn't include me doing the swim. I, I lead up to that. And, it, mm. and I, for all sorts of reasons, I decided not to have the actual swim in the book. But um, so the redemption was about me coming back to life. And I did that. There's mm. nothing. Um, there's nothing untrue or 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 contrived about it. I really did. Um, by the time I'd finished the book, um, I thought I can die happy now. I've done. <laughs> I, I, I had always wanted to write a book, and yes. this wasn't the one I thought I'd end up doing. But um, I did it, and and I did an ocean swim, which I'd always mm. wanted to do. So mm. it, so um, the book did follow my natural emotions as well yeah. Yeah, certainly there were moments of calculation in terms of yeah I'm going to sign up to do that ocean swim and I'm going to use that for the, to finish the book yeah. and I possibly might not have actually finished the ocean swim if I hadn't been writing the book because <laughs> I thought how can I possibly I can't look people in the face and say well no I didn't actually do the ocean swim but <laughs> yes um so um and, it, and it's it's kind of it's not even there as a you know I don't think it's in a heavy-handed way but um mm. Yeah. Um, so you say that you took a year, you gave yourself a year to I write the book. Yes. Well, yeah, tell me about that. Like did you, were you doing anything else at the time? Were you yes. writing other things? Like just tell me about the structure of your day and how you got into some kind of routine once you started writing as to for a while I had five months without a drink that, right. was, that was important I don't think I could have done it without that um initially I thought I'd need to take the whole year and do nothing else but write the book mm-hmm. and then at the end of 2017 when I got the contract and signed with Penguin Random House mm-hmm. um I saw a job growing at the ABC Australian Story as a researcher and it just thought I just thought maybe I should apply for this because I was super super worried about working because I live at, live alone and um, have a study at home, mm. and I knew that I could go quite stir crazy working at home on my own and living on my own. Mm-hmm. So for if for nothing no other reason than getting myself out of the house, I thought just apply for this job, and I got the job, and it was a part time job three days a week, and um, I so I was getting up at sort of five thirty six in the morning and doing some writing before going into the three day a week job. Then basically, like, there were no weekends. I worked every weekend. Um, and I would usually work after work at Australian Story in the evenings. Um, in the second half of the year, the contract changed to two days a week, which was I was very relieved about. Um, and then I had a, the most wonderful boss at Australian Story who let me have a few weeks off here and there to just go away and write. Um, and... I just I was working on Christmas Day. I was meant to finish it everything in December last year, and it was January before I did. And Christmas Day, and New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day <laughs> spent at the computer. Um, and then we rolled straight into the editing of it, and that was so that was almost even more intense than the writing. the The edit was fairly minimal, thank God. But it's a fairly long book, I think. Yes. Um, and in comparison to similar styles of book, so to cram nearly 100,000 words of editing into two and a half, three weeks mm. was intensely stressful. And I'm also a really meticulous fact checker, which is just um, my um, a legacy of my work as a journalist. And so I was going back to every single person I'd interviewed and checking my facts with them and checking every single scientific fact and every single anything. And, the, and it, there was a, fairly, a fair lot of complex detail in there in certain parts so I was simultaneously fact-checking and then on top of that I needed to be getting written permission from three pe- three key people who were interviewed in the book mm. and I nearly had a nervous breakdown because I was thinking what if one of them changes their mind and don't <laughs> read, read what I've written and changes their mind and thank God they're all amazing and they read it, read the manuscript and didn't change their mind and we got their signatures and they've been incredible. Um, but that period of editing I never want to go back in my life Yes, too. But I think that I think the the motivate the the there was impetus to get it out so fast because this is such a hot topic at the yeah. moment. And um, I think if we'd left it any longer, we would have been trampled in. I don't know whether there are other similar books coming out, but certainly there's. I don't believe so. I mean, there is really? on not in the way you've written it. 
I do believe there are many stories about these types of people like Joe, um, yes, but I think this is unique in the way you've treated it. So, so yeah, yeah, you know. I wanted to do that. I didn't want it just to be a really straight telling of what had happened. Mm. It, needed to, it needed to be more than that. But it um, come, comes back to the actual writing. You're doing part-time Australian story. You've got to write this book. Did you because you already structured it on your whiteboard, did you kind of allocate, well, these months I'm going to do Chapter 1 and I'm going yeah. to need to do 2,000 yes. words per week, whatever. Did you oh, break I it down? constantly counting words, right. constantly looking at I've written this much, I've got X number of days to go, how yes. many words do I have to do each day, yeah. constantly. Um, I think that's what kept – I mean, and I originally had a sort of a deadline chart, but in the end it became kind of right. I've got I, – I, pretty much the structure was – it was a 12-chapter structure. I've forgotten. How many chapters did I have? I can't even remember now. But I realised I, I, I did the preface the year before um, because that was part of the submission of my proposal to publishers. Yeah. Um, so the preface was already under wraps and done. So I figured out with the 12 chapters I had, I had a, a basically – I had to do one chapter a month. Right, and yep. I busted the first month and I busted the second month and I think by the third month I had a barely finished chapter two mm. and I was starting to panic. Mm. So I think the sense of panic all through the year kept me going as well. But, no, those calculations, I was doing them constantly. And what's it like because when you're writing, you know, a 3,000-word feature, it's very different to writing 100,000 words. How did you di- – get into the long, 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 long form. Yeah, form. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. It just happened. <laughs> the other panic thing that I was having was that I had originally thought that I'd make each chapter about 5,500 words, so it would be a, about the same as a good weekend feature. Yeah, right. And I would plan each chapter to have its own individual highs and lows and drama, drama right. points. Um, but I was like finding that every chapter I was I was going to one chapter got to nine and a half thousand words, mm. so that was completely changing my view of how many chapters I could do each month. Oh my God, if I'm writing nine and a half thousand words a month, I can't do a chapter in a month. Ah! Mm. And I was freaking. Um, and I was so I was constantly thinking, what's Meredith, my publisher, going to say when she gets a nine and a half thousand word chapter? And eventually, I got the courage up to email her and say, I'm finding it really hard to keep to those that length each chapter is that all right and she said well it's better to be around eight but or lower than eight but um in the end um I probably shouldn't have panicked as much through this through the process because a few things there were some slight alterations in the edit that brought some chapters down and it was fine um but I guess in terms of comparing it to a good weekend story it's Mm. it's each chapter had to have the highs and lows as well, which is what I try and embed in a, in a feature long-form piece of journalism. Um, yeah, it just mm. happened, you know. I know that that's some um, – I just had to keep going and I think knowing that I had to keep going, I just – Well, you're up, used to unfolded. deadlines, aren't you? I mean <laughs> – Yeah, um, I've never met a deadline I've actually met, but um, – <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I knew that there was such a so there was not much real room in this one. Mm. So you've spent many years as a journalist. When did you know you wanted to go into this career? How did you get into that? Just to give some into context, yeah, the writing. Oh, so from so young, really? Um, oh, yeah. I think I was probably in early high school when I realised um, writing had always been something I loved to do. And I was really encouraged by my mother and my grandmother because my grandmother had always wanted to write a book. And she used to say to me when I was really little, where you and I are going to write a book together when you grow up. (laughs) And we never did really sadly. And in fact, I've got this, grandma was just the most beautiful writer and I've got an excerpt of a journal she wrote when she was traveling up and down the Queensland coast in like 1910 or something. And it's just so exquisitely written. And one day I'd love to try and do something with that, incorporating it in a story of mine. Mm. 
Mm. Um, so that we actually do get to write a book together when I grow up. <laughs> um, I don't quite, I haven't had many time to sort of think about what that might be, but her writing was beautiful. And then mum was a teacher and I have a really early memories of mum sitting with me with charts saying, now you don't have to start every story with once upon a time. And the chart had <laughs> these words that you could start sentences with or paragraphs with um, that weren't once upon a time. Mm. Now, you know, after reading this book, because the thing is you went through an extremely, well, traumatic and anxiety-filled um, experience and then you went through the rigour of the research and investigation, then you wrote a 100,000-word book. <laughs> I just thought this woman must be exhausted. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> tired and I start a new job tomorrow and I'm going, oh, oh God, oh, oh God. God. <laughs> I'm really tired, yeah, and I haven't, I mean, you know what it's like for writers trying to scrounge out a living and my redundancy's gone and, I mean, freelancing work for a journalist, I took a redundancy, I I took a redundancy, I should have added that, when I left um, Fairfax two years ago to write the book, I took a redundancy and that money's almost gone now and my money just, when you, you, I haven't added anything to my bank account all year and so, you know, that feeling, it's Mm -hmm. kind of panic, it's Mm -hmm. like I can't afford to take a holiday, I'm just going to keep going. Um, so, um, but having I, said all of that, do you have, are you, are you, you thinking you've got another idea that you want to listen, spend a I'm, year on? I don't, I, I don't mean this in any sort of boastful way, but I'm just a, an ideas monster. I have a million a day. And in fact, that's a, a it's not a good thing because, well, yeah, which one do you I've choose? Got too many. Which one do I choose? Yeah. And how do I, and I, and I honestly, it does my head in. I have so I, I, I could I, I've got lists as long as my arm of ideas for both fiction and non-fiction books. I'd wow. love to try fiction, um, and I've mapped out a fiction idea. But wow, uh, then something else comes along, and like I, I don't know. This one was so obvious, and it, mm. fake was so obvious, and it presented presented itself so clearly to me as to what it was that it wasn't difficult to put all the other ideas aside. But now um, my literary agent wants another idea from me and it's like, which one? And I, and, and I really, that's, I think that's my, my anxiety about starting a new job. It is part-time thankfully, but right. I really would love to have the time just to sit and to still. Yes. Think. I mean, I've got Google Drive documents coming out of my ears with different things I want to explore. Um, and I have sent a children's book idea off to my – well, not an idea, actually, the manuscript for a children's book I've wow. written. Um, my agent's got that right now. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Listen, it's 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 a curse. Every time <laughs> I on a street, I go, what if that person did X? Yeah. Or what if that person – X had happened to that person and then that happened? And, yeah, it's it's <laughs> – it's not necessarily a great thing. No, I understand. Um, so yeah. one of the things that you address in the book is the idea that people could be judgmental uh, upon reading it or upon hearing your story, you know, and you talk about being a single, you know, woman and uh, at a certain age who, you know, and this idea that people would think, how could she not have known sort of thing? Yeah. How important – I thought it was beautifully addressed in the book – how important – was was it to you to um, address all of those things that would be going through people's minds? Mm, that's so important, I suppose, because who wants to be looked at as stupid? Mm. No one wants to be considered stupid. And, of course, that's the first thing. I mean, I should add, I, I didn't lose any money from this guy. Like, he never yeah. asked me for money, which I guess for many people that would be the first red alert, wouldn't it? Mm. Someone asks, A man asks you for money, yeah. hang on, what's going on here? He never asked me, and I didn't lose any. He he his um he stole my emotions. It was mm. an emotional theft. Um, and as I discovered when I researched personality disorders, there is that's a very common. He, uh, he needed me to bolster his own very fragile ego, yeah. his and his hollowness really. Uh, he needed me and a series of other women that said. Um, and me to listen to his ridiculous stories, which I can see were ridiculous in hindsight, but at the time he was terribly convincing. So, I mean, it was important not to address that in the book, not just for um, so that I could sort of fend off other people's views of me, which mm. was certainly a component of it, but also for my own self. Like why, 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 why did I do that? Mm. So the book is very much, I mean, if, if there's a narrative thread underlying the, the sort of obvious one, it's, 
my search for understanding, like understanding myself and what led me to be vulnerable to him and understanding him and what led him to be who he is. Um, and I felt that until I could, like that was the most cathartic thing, like to just to understand something can be just so cathartic. Yeah. And um, so I guess it was two-pronged for me and for the audience of readers who would be, and people have still judged me, people have, I mean, there was a review in one publication of the on the, in the, on the weekend of the book, um, and I think I can take criticism reasonably well, um, but it was it, it, it was a, it was actually a generous review. But um, it made some comment about what you know it, it defies belief that these are my words that I'm extrapolating from the review. It defies belief that a journalist like that couldn't see the red flags. Well, in fact, I've said in the book I did see the red flags, mm. but there were a lot of reasons why I chose not to not to act on those red flags. And I, I read that review and I emailed the editor about it. <laughs> did you really? Yes. <laughs> Do you know my, was I right in going, hang on, you've not actually. Uh, I will discuss me. that with you offline. Okay. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> and okay. I don't usually. liking criticism. Okay. Oh, and I don't usually email it. Anyway, I'll, um, more on that later. Yes. Um, so um, the thing is now, what, so firstly, what kind of job are you doing part-time? And also if you've got a billion ideas, I'm sure lots of people after they read this will want to will want to read the next one. So how, what do you do to hone it into the one? Okay. Um, I'm, I don't really believe in star signs, but I believe in Virgo because I'm a Virgo <laughs> and every characteristic of a Virgo that I ever read in any sort of magazine or chart or whatever matches me so I have the lists I keep are ridiculous and I need to keep reworking my lists so what I will do I'm probably answering your second question first (laughs) what I will do to finesse and hone my ideas is I will sit at my computer for hours and days and weeks moving documents around moving ideas around looking at them joining ideas separating Mm. ideas creating new documents thinking about them adding thoughts writing like pictures I suppose miniature pictures um and finessing the lists and thinking about it so it's actually a kind of a it comes out through my fingers on like I don't think I ever write with a pen like I know that there are writers out there that write their books with a pen by hand I could mm. never do that because weird as this sounds something happens between my fingers on the keyboard and the screen I get it and I don't know what <laughs> it just happens it's mm. like in the act of typing and I've never really thought about this before you just made me think of it but I learned touch typing at school which was a great blessing and I think every kid should that should be on the curriculum touch typing because I think it's so fundamentally important and I wonder there's just some sort of alchemy that happens when I touch type that Mm. I don't know just comes out like and so it will be sitting at my computer and moving things around and looking at things and looking at documents um if that Mm. (laughs) can't really explain it any better than that Um, no no I get it and try I like I put them in different documents and then I realize I've got five documents so I'll make them one document like yeah it's merging it's moving and stuff like that yeah and as for the job I probably can't really say much about it it's very much behind the scenes because it's a government position actually three months part-time helping um contribute to a government report Mm -hmm. um and it'll be incredibly challenging I think so but I'm not sure that I'm allowed to talk about it yet so um yeah that's okay so well let's finish on what your top three tips are you know advice for aspiring writers who'd like to do what you've done one day oh my lord you didn't warn me about this let's <laughs> see what I can if I can come up off the top of my head mm-hmm. um structure like mm. it's to me the bedrock of everything to know where you're going to know where you, how your story is going to unfold um to have maps almost to have physical maps drawings or documents that show you where you're going it doesn't mean you've got to stick to it but I think it's it and it can, the structure can evolve but I think that having a really strong structure will give give a right gives a writer the narrative drive the the tension yeah. and the and the um the moment, momentum to keep the story going um I think the second one might be to don't give everything away at once what do you mean to, to hold your information back so um 
to tease. To, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. I guess I thought as I wrote fake I'm, I, I, that I was, I'm trying to tell a thriller story in a way. Yeah. And a thriller holds back. Just when you want the information, you stop and you can move on to something else. And so you leave people wanting more. Um, so it's a matter of teasing out the story. Don't don't give everything away of, at once, if mm. that makes sense. And I guess third would be um, just sit and write. Like when I first started feature writing, um, I agonised over every word and every sentence. It could take me and I was at the time lucky enough to have a staff job at The Age in Melbourne. This is some years ago. And so I had the luxury of dithering and procrastinate, procrastinating. Mm. Um, not always, but often. It would take me three weeks to write the first sentence. Like, it was ridiculous <laughs> because I would just agonise over every word. Mm. And now I just write. And it, I guess having done the book in the year and it's I suppose increased my confidence about my writing I, I, I know I can write I don't need to agonize over every over every word and in fact when I look back at some of those things that I agonized over they're so florid they're so over. hang on let me just hear this correctly you just said having you just said having just you know written this book now I know I can write you did not know you could write before I mean no, this is no <laughs> oh come on <laughs> no seriously no no it, it confidence self-confidence oh. I think everybody has a degree of lack of confidence and every writer agonizes over their writing don't they um, no, sure. I, st- I still I read passages of fake occasionally. Well, not very often. I try and I put it on the shelf and try not to think about it too much. But I go, oh, that's not very good. Oh, that's a bit overwritten. Oh, so- you're insane. <laughs> let me assure you and let me assure listeners, this is one of the best books I have read this year. So oh, do not listen to you. Stephanie. That's so beautiful of you. Thank no, you so- it- it's so beautifully written. It's incredibly well structured, but it's beautifully written. Um, and you know, congratulations! It's it's a cracker. Thank so you. thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week course in Freelance Writing Stage 1 is the fastest way to get there. Step-by-step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, approach editors, research and structure your article, plus interview skills, industry expectations, and much more. You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash freelance. There we go, Stephanie Wood and on her book, Fake. Fantastic book. Amazing. Just an amazing story all around, really. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, obviously a talented writer. So, um, you know, I think the book is doing very, very well. All right. So we've come almost to the end of this week's episode. Al, what are you doing in the coming week? What am I doing? I'm, well, I'm, the, the boys are back at school finally. Oh, after yes. what felt like an eon. Yes. Um, and so I'm just uh, diving into edits and, and you know, still thinking about what my next thing will be and, you know, just, just owl stuff, you know. Sounds like fun. Yeah. It's all so hmm. good. It's all good. I'm heading to a poetry slam. That's something different, isn't it? Okay. All right. <laughs> are you actually going to be doing said poetry slam? No. I have done that once before um, and it was uh, terrifying and exhilarating at the same time. But, no, I don't have the guts. So I will be in the audience enjoying a drink and a snack. <laughs> <laughs> Because it says on the on the on the event page, enjoy a drink and a snack. <laughs> so it's it's actually mandatory to enjoy a drink and a snack. Is that right? Uh, no, it's not mandatory, but it's actually a great venue and um something I want to give a shout out to City Recital Hall in Sydney because they have some really good events there that are of interest to creative people, including writers. Um, and you can the, the thing I like about it <laughs> is that you can enjoy a drink and a snack. 
<laughs> like there's a bar there. You're actually going for the drink and the snack. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a bar there, but there's also these really cool restaurants nearby and they'll sell you dinner boxes to bring in to your little table. Anyway. I'll I'll tell you more about it next week. Okay. All right, fantastic. Where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at Alison Tate Writer, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T. No, you won't. You'll find me at (laughs) alisontate.com. I've just lost lost my mind. Good on you. I've officially lost my mind. You'll find me at alisontate.com, which is my website, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T. You will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer, and you will find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you, Val, do you remember where you are online? (laughs) Yes, you'll find me at Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at So You Want To Be a writer.com.au but also if you have not yet joined our awesome listener community it's fantastic one of the best groups on facebook yes so just go to facebook and search for so you want to be a writer podcast community we'd love to see you in there it's free to join and it's really fun thanks for listening everyone and we look forward to chatting to you again next time bye Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>